welcome to Monster Dear Monster, a multimedia podcast where we discuss monsters through all incarnations of popular culture from their beginnings to their contemporary depictions uh, in video games, books, comic books, and old folk tales, uh, among others, when they when they pop up every now and then. My name is Dave. I'm Leonard. And we'll be your hosts for this episode. We are going back to the Legativerse, as this is a, it's not really an off week, but it's a, an opposite week from when uh, Cameron will usually join us. So this episode, we are looking at, we're almost actually finished with this section of uh, Thomas Legati's book. We're, we're getting to the end of one, one portion, but we've reached Dreams for the Dead. And so we'll be looking at the first three tales in that segment. And uh, that will, next episode, we'll wrap up Songs of a Dead Dreamer, and then we will move on to Grimm's Scribe um, within this uh, anthology. Yes. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing what the differences may be between the two, because there's a clear through line in um, in this segment. So I wonder how that's going to differ uh, within Grimm's Scribe, if, if indeed it does. I'm imagining there's something because he's set it aside as a different um, cohesive uh, thing. So we'll we'll find out when that, I think that uh, that occurs. Um, what is our first tale in this Dreams for the Dead? Uh, our first tale is Doctor Lochtren's Asylum. So the narratives on these are again. A little different. Yep. Um, and I'm trying to decide, even after having read all three of them, if I preferred how these are constructed versus what we, we just had read. I'm not sure that I do. I think the last few tales we covered were maybe my favorites as far as how they were narratively constructed. Because this, this does away with a lot of the... Um, it's not purple prose, but it's it's a little bit more flowery. This is more succinct. Um, it's a little bit more to the point, uh, while like not uh, doing away with the strange cosmos kind of aspect. Oh yeah, um, uh, I'll, the these these three stories that we're going to be covering today. Um, you know, there's been a, a an air of Lovecraft, a, a, a dusting of Lovecraft, if you will, over uh, everything that we've read so far. But um, I feel these these three stories feel the most like uh, Lovecraft, uh, specifically because there is a a huge focus on on um, uh, cosmic existential dread. Uh, in in all of these, um, I will say though that uh, that this first story, uh, Doctor Lockhart's uh, Asylum, is is actually a fairly good mix of of classic haunted house and H.P. Lovecraft, in my opinion. Yeah, I would agree, and then I I think that his drawing from the wellspring of Poe um, in the last segment it still filters through here too because the 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 cosmic issues um they're they're overt they're not hidden behind anything 
but they are um realistic's like the wrong word they're just uh more subdued yes here like even though they're fantastical concepts they're they're rendered in a way that it's just accepted that they're happening which yeah, actually exactly. makes it worse i think <laughs> Mm-hmm. because it's it's the voice of the protagonist of, of each of these stories they are um instead of being perturbed they're resigned and that i think is uh harder to parse yes because it's it's someone just they're at they're at the end of their their their, their wits end and they're just resigned to their ultimate fates um in a way that makes that that that's why it's um less like flowery and less everything feels a little bit more grounded because the they themselves are just talking about things that are otherwise crazy but um they're couched in like just a like a doldrum yeah like a quiet resignation that this is the way things are now mm. Or, or always have been, and they just didn't get it. Which right, is exactly. just like the, the the crux of the horror is the the pulling back of the curtain and understanding that all of the things that were bothering you uh, weren't uh, your imagination. Yep, and they're actually far worse than what you may have suspected. But there's nothing you can do about it, so might as well just kind of welcome it yep is how these feel yep yeah uh yes yes the all of these star- stories fall into uh i guess i'll die meme uh territory <laughs> i think and i mean it is it is um headed dreams for the dead so <laughs> we're, we're given a little bit of uh advance uh warning on that front uh, yes that, that being the case I didn't feel any particular, like, by and large, a lot of this is it's an existential crisis. It's, um, there is a hint of depression uh, running through because it's vaguely, uh, it's, it's, there's a nihilistic bent. There's a lot of things going on here that are generally considered negative. Because of the acceptance kind of tone on part of the characters, that doesn't, read as tough in in the like these are easier to kind of go through yeah 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 they're they're um uh they are they, they, uh, there is a lo- an uh an an extra layer of uh, explicit intent in the in these uh three stories that we we weren't given uh previously there's 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 less vagueness and and the the questions left unanswered at the end of these stories are 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 less uh necessary uh to have in order to understand what we've just read yeah um so in regarding Dr. Locrian's asylum, this feels a little bit like, um, hmm, like a pastoral session nine or Silent Hill. It, there's a very specific feeling that this evokes of a, like a sleepy, foggy little town. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I, I guess that's, that's the bit of the, um, 
Lovecraft is this is couched in uh, maybe uh, Imboka uh, for Digon or yes. um, the is it the Cats of Ulthar? I think it's Ulthar. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Oh, the tragedy that befell. Yeah. Yes. Or yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, that tale. So that that's what this is. It's a town that has um it has a sort of uh terrifyingly tragic uh past mm-hmm. that people are they didn't they didn't really bury it away. They're like just sort of dealing with it, like like the literal specter of the past looming over them. Like that's what this is. And right. When they do decide to ultimately take action and uh, deal with it, like confront mm-hmm. the stuff that they just kind of let fall to the side, uh, it becomes their undoing. Yes, exactly. Like it's, I, it's, I, uh, it's the – go ahead. Oh, I also wanted to mention that there's also kind of an interesting um, Haunting of Hill House aspect to it, but if – if yeah. it were told from the perspective of the townspeople that lived by Hill House, um, yes, yeah, I mean that that's almost exactly it. Uh, and given um, an an agency to actually be effective in doing something about it, even though that was like not the correct choice, probably right. It, yeah. It's it's the it's the idea of um uh you know leave leave dead things alone, mm-hmm. exactly. Let let the ghosts of the past rest. Um, don't don't look for forbidden secrets, right? Or if there's yeah, some just, sort of ritual going on, probably don't interrupt it. Yeah, yeah. Just leave the leave the just, asylum alone. Just leave, just leave it alone. Although, although I do really like, um, like there's there's a description of the asylum is so oppressive, which once again kind of ties back with frolic with the uh, prison, uh, but yeah. that the the asylum is this abandoned, decaying asylum is so oppressive that it feels as if it can be viewed from every corner of the town that there is no place where a person is unable to look out a window and not see it. And I, I think that's a, a really, really good way of describing what this, this edifice uh, uh, does to this town. Yeah. It's, it's, it's literally standing over the whole town. Like it's, it's shadow is cast and they, they specifically call it out um, with, with the, the idea that it's, it's so, massive and such mm-hmm. a fixture um that when the sun sets the sun ultimately is hidden uh behind it's a, it might as well just be a mountain it's hidden behind the um the asylum and the shadow of it that it they tell him cast because of that it covers the entire town right so it is it is the house on the hill yeah yeah <laughs> But, um, yeah, and it's, uh, they, they give, um, so the, the narrator of this is a, uh, a a bookseller. Yes. A shopkeep. Yes. He runs a a bookstore, um, and he 
is like tangent like no no one's directly involved in the asylum they're just yeah. uh collateral damage maybe it's a really yeah. weird like they're complicit in some of what was going on but but as like a tertiary thing right right no one was no one was like directly involved in events happening at the asylum it was just the asylum existed and there was some potentially questionable stuff going on that no one really bothered to look into and the asylum seemingly only became a, an an issue a problem after it shut down and was was left to decay yes because the 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 protections i guess that the building itself offered were failing yes and these will tie into um uh the the last messiah that we'll cover at the end of the episode that that's the essay by peter uh peter vessel zapfer um and is is part and parcel the thesis statement of um legati's conspiracy against the human race this of course, as always, all these stories carry the weight of, of Ligotti's, his message. Yeah. And I think that this has, um, when we get to The Last Messiah, there's there's bits that this represents, like, um, emphatically. Mm-hmm. Or at least the, the idea of what the asylum may, in fact, be, um, or at least its function uh, that it ends up serving, regardless of its original intent. So the asylum itself was... Uh, I believe built and helmed by Doctor Locrian. Uh his the, grandfather. His his, his grandfather. We, but he's still yes. Doctor Locrian. Yes, yes. There are there are two Doctor Locrians yes. in this tale. At least two. We don't know if his father father was also a doctor. Did I don't think yes. mentioned. But anyway, um uh, go ahead. Oh, and specifically it is the uh Shire County Sanatorium or Sanitarium. Yes. So um the the good doctor I just we're gonna skip into the story a little bit because it's not long, but it has no. it has a weird pacing. Um so this is a quote uh so the I guess to set the stage, uh, uh primarily this takes place in in the town, but really in the um the, the shopkeep's shop because yes. the uh the or the good doctor the present incarnation of the Locrian family line uh, is he's there to pick up some books that he ordered, but really to kind of give a, it's a warning. It's a a foretelling, I think of, of events to come Uh, an explanation maybe of what the townspeople have inadvertently like caused. Right. And kind of why that, that's, that's going to happen. Um, but he's he's talking about his grandfather, uh, and I'll just I'll read this little passage here. I have said that my grandfather was and always had been a mysteriarch, never a philanthropist of the mind, not a restorer of wounded psyches. In no way did he take a therapeutic approach with the inmates at the sanitarium. He did not view them as souls that were, or, um, yes, as souls that were possessed either by demons or by their own painful histories. 
but as beings who held a strange allegiance with other orders of existence who contained within themselves a particle of something eternal, a golden speck of magic which he thought, he, which he thought might be enlarged. Thus his ambition led him not to relieve his patient's madness, but to exasperate it, to let it breathe with a life of its own, and this he did in certain ways that wholly eradicated what human attributes remained in these people. But sometimes that particular magic he saw in their eyes would seem to fade, and then he would institute his proper treatment, which consisted of putting them through a battery of hellish ordeals intended to loosen their attachments to the world of humanity and to project them further into the realm of the silent, staring universe, where the insanity of the infinite might work a rather paradoxical cure. The result was something as pathetic as a puppet, and as exalted as the stars, something at once dead and never dying, a thing utterly without destiny and thus imperishable, forever consigned to that abysmal vacuity which is the essence of all that is immortal. So, yeah, he's, he's experimenting on people, on yep. inmates. Um, at his sanitarium and, and this is um i would say feels a little bit like the um uh, i want to it's not the the haunting of the, the there's several movies that end up sounding similar so i think it's haunting of hill house not oh the house, house on the haunted hill maybe it's house on haunted hill yeah, it is. So it's, it's yeah, that was it's the, the remake. It's the remake with Jeffrey Combs. Yeah, yes, that reminded me of that, um, or this reminds me of that. Um, uh, because because I can only think about video games and video game related things. <laughs> I am instantly uh, uh, instantly think of the uh, patients. From the Bloodborne Old Hunter DLC in the in the yes uh, yes research hall, that is immediately what I go to, um, uh, and also uh, you can't mention vacuousness without me immediately thinking of Rom, which also seems like an appropriate um, um, comparison to these patients. So it, it is, I, I, and I think even more to one of the later um, stories. Yeah. In fact, I think the next story that pops up. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, <laughs> that, that was what I thought of immediately. Um, it should be noted that, uh, part of the unease that the people, uh, feel around the, uh, uh, sanatorium is, uh, the fact that at night, sometimes people have claimed that they can just see other people staring out the, uh, empty windows of the asylum into town. Um, so yes, I can understand how one would find that rather disquieting. Yes, and there's um there's a bit with the uh so the uh Dr. Locrian was was uh warned by his father not to like uh, intrude on his grandfather's room. Yes, or really talk to his grandfather in any kind of way. He doesn't really want him to associate with him. Uh but he he did so anyway because he just mm -hmm. enjoyed the mysteries of his of his grandfather's presence Be and because is, forbidden uh, knowledge yeah is mm -hmm. 
Uh, and here is the grandfather. He's listening to his grandfather speak to him. He was gazing through the window, and he never once turned to face me. But after we sat in silence for some time, he started to whisper something. They questioned, he said. They accused. They complained that no one in that place ever became well. Then he smiled and began to elaborate. What things had they seen, he hissed, to give them such wisdom? They did not look into the faces. No, he did not say faces, but eyes. Yes, he said, did not look into the eyes of those beings, the eyes that reflected the lifeless beauty of the silent, staring universe itself. Those were his words, and then he talked about the voices of the patients under his care. He whispered, and I quote, that the wonderful music of those voices spoke to the supreme delirium of the planets as they go round and round like bright puppets dancing in the blackness. In the wandering words of those lunatics, he told me, the ancient mysteries were restored. And this, again, will be a, a, a commonality between the three, all three of the stories. Yes. The, the, the unending uh, <laughs> uh, madness of, of the universe and, and its uh, mechanics mm. is, is the thing. It, it is, and it's, it, it pulls to mind immediately um, the, the, the quote we will we run into before and may see again, but that idea of chaos at feast. Yep. And it's, uh, it's good. This is all very good um, imagery. Yes, yes, it is. And I do like me some puppets. Yep, yep, I I saw it. I saw it last night while I was reading. (laughs) This this is my life now, huh? This is an unending series of puppets. And and then somewhere a voice voice deep in the, the back of my head said, oh, it's, it's always been like, I've always been surrounded. They've, all, they've always been there, Leonard, just beyond yeah. the, just beyond the window, just beyond the stage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 but yes, so the, the, that is the issue with the asylum. Something, something freaky was going on there. Um, to the extent that uh, Dr. Locrian, um, senior, senior, would spend all of his time. He didn't really live in the house. He, like, and I think he interred himself in the sanitarium eventually. Yes. Yes. Um, there, there, and, there's and, a field. Yes. And he, he, ex- he conducted the experiments upon himself in his last days. Yeah. Because he just needed those eyes on the inside. Yep. To, to further tie the uh, illusions together yep uh wanted wanted to become a weird stasis ghost that just stares at the universe um the um <laughs> what this also does and i did just now occurred to me particularly in the in the 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 denouement of the story the the imagery here of the of the people the, the shapes in the windows. Um, this is highly evocative of um, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's um, Pulse. So the oh yeah, Kai Kairo, mm-hmm. and the idea of 
death being a final thing, but it's at the same time a transition into uh, just an, a never-ending, like, other dimension of uh, loneliness. Yep. And that's the feeling that this town evokes and the the feeling of those sort of ghosts in the static um, is is also what these sort of idiot specters kind of uh, evoke. Right. Um, because, yes, we are, in fact, actually dealing with, with real, real ghosts um, in this story. And, and surprise... We, we we shouldn't have torn down the asylum. <laughs> shouldn't have torn down the asylum or entered, like, the one specific room that was the, the doctor's room. Because yeah. it was a, it was a bulwark, a, um, unin- I think it's an unintentional um, protection against the, the madness um, of the beyond. Mm-hmm. It, everything was kind of, um, it became a locus of that of that energy and it was kind of confined there that's why the asylum as it as it stood in its foreboding like presence contained everything right and they broke the containment unit yep it it is yep i was i was getting to <laughs> that it is it is literally just a giant containment unit that that, that this story is in fact ghostbusters this is the existential crisis version of ghostbusters everyone's been waiting for this will be the true reboot where everyone fails and everything's bad yes this also um another uh well fittingly because the movies come out almost in the exact same time uh the um 13 ghosts yep film where they've literally made a machine for the powered by the dead um, yep, but it's ghosts trapped in a. Well, it's it ends up being it's a mansion, but it's might as well have just been an asylum. You could you could swap one for the other and not um, not have a uh, much of a difference other than it's a dude collecting ghosts versus this guy's just making them out of people, right? The people ghosts. Yep. But 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 uh, he shouldn't have messed with Tony Shalhoub because he sh- yes he should not <laughs> he's too capable uh, yeah um, yeah the yeah the, uh, thousands of stories about locking ghosts in houses um, I, this one is a good uh, stop messing with ghost house story yeah. um, be- mostly because it ends so catastrophically. Um, uh, that, that, that I'm kind of impressed with, um, how bad the bad end in this story is. Yeah, they've, they've, like, apocalypted their own town. Yep. Uh, because, surprise, um, those ghosts, uh, like staring out windows, and now that their, that asylum doesn't have any windows anymore because it doesn't exist, um, they just decided to take up residence in any room that has a window in the entire town. Yeah, they, um, here's, here's the passage. Uh, and now I do understand what that old man told me as I could never on that um, autumn day some 40 years ago. So this is uh, this is like a long game. 
This is not yeah. the next night. This is, it took time for the town to be like subsumed. Yeah. Um, uh, well, I guess technically it was, it was in fact the next night. So <laughs> it's just 40 years of this happening. Um, it was toward the end of that same sullen day in the course of a bleak twilight that they began to appear like figures quietly emerging from the depths of memory. They struggled in the shadows and slowly became visible. But even if the transition had been subtle, insidiously graduated, it did not long go unnoticed. By nightfall, they were distractingly conspicuous throughout the town, always framed in some high window of the structures they occupied, the living quarters above the shops in the heart of the town, the highest story of the old hotel, the empty towers of civic buildings, the lofty turrets and grand gables of the most distinguished houses, and the attics of the humblest homes. It does. It, it does goes on in, um, further into description of the um, the ghosties, but uh, I like to leave that. I think to the imagination, or yes, someone you can read along and and get that. Um, otherwise, it's just me reading a story to you. Uh, but the the more or less important um, facet of these ghosts. Uh, appearing would be this in daylight when viewed at street level the figures in the windows took on a dull wooden appearance somehow somehow that was less maddening it was then that some of us ventured into those high rooms but nothing was ever found on the other side of what were now their windows nothing save a tenantless room which no light would illuminate and which sooner or later drove us away in seizures of uncanny dread by night when it seemed we could hear them erratically tapping on the floors above us their presence in our homes drove us out into the streets. Day and night, we became sleepless vagrants, strangers in our own town. As I remember, we eventually ceased to recognize one another. But one name, one face was still known to all. That of Mr. Harkness Locrian, whose gaze haunted every one of us. And then it goes on to say that there was a, um, a fire sprung up yeah. in uh, Locrian's home and... That that was the central point at which the rest of the, the town was um, consumed. Yes. Um, I I like I like the idea of of people being evicted by non uh, non hostile ghosts uh, by their mere presence. <laughs> the discomfort, just that, yeah, just that dread that they evoke. Yeah, um, it's good. Um, yeah, because I think one of the, the I think the most. Uh, important facet to to how this this story works uh, uh, with its its level of horror is that the the ghosts are simply uh, inactive and non hostile. They are just deeply unsettling and uncomfortable. And they and they won't go away. They're just yeah. always there. Um, I also like uh, to tie in. With what you said about the town being complicit uh, by virtue of, of ignoring what was going on at the asylum and how appropriate that, that in, in, in finally taking some action against the asylum after it's, it's long been dead, basically desecrating the body that, that the contents of the asylum now become the burden of the town to bear well, because they did do so when yeah. it was well active. they the 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 spirit of the asylum its soul um became rotten yeah 
uh, and it was the town's onus to like not have addressed that before it became a problem. Mm-hmm. Like they they were turning a blind eye to these atrocities, and in doing so, that was like their their sin to carry. Right. And then now they just done they just done fucked it up, and <laughs> now they're also done. <laughs> yeah. Well, just like 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 uh, Shire County homelessness crisis, ghosts drive residents into streets. Yeah, it's definitely a it's an evocative image, and um, it it does it speaks a little more to it because once the in most circumstances when something is like raised to the ground, people don't just always move on. Mm-hmm. it's usually nature to like rebuild uh, right but in this case uh no effort was made by anyone to recover the town we had lost when the first snow fell that year it fell upon unclaimed ruins but now after the passing of so many years it is not the ashen rubble of that town which haunts each of my hours it is that one great ruin in whose shadow my mind has been interned and this is the the the, the house um, of Dr. Logrian that he's yes the narrator is speaking of um, and one in one particular room in that house and if you like that um, read the last paragraph because that's it's essential I think in what this story is doing yes last paragraph come on tablet work for daddy there we go And if they have kept me in this room because I speak to a charred face that appears at my window, then let them protect this same room from violations after I am gone. For Mr. Lochran had been true to his promise. He had told me of certain things when I was ready to hear them, and he has other things to tell me. Secrets surpassing all insanity. Commending, uh, commending me to an absolute cure. He will have uh, inured another soul within the black and boundless walls of that eternal asylum where the stars dance forever like bright puppets in the silent, staring void. Yeah, so the the protections of the asylum were uh, on purpose. It looks like the, the the grandfather had done to himself what his grandson has now done and um, created that sort of barrier. Uh, and I don't know if that was um, in, an, an intentional thing to ward people away because if he's looking for like, these secrets mm-hmm. – uh, it's either something that he doesn't want to share, which kind of seems to be the case, uh, or he's keeping on purpose because it's something that shouldn't be shared. Right. As, aside oh. from like a select view, which is that that's what seems to be what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and clearly I think, I think it's fair to fall on the, uh, shouldn't be shared side of things since, uh, since you've got, you've got, uh, you're, you, when, when, when you destroy an old asylum, you turn, uh, your town into a, a ghost flop house. So 
Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't pan out pan out so well. <laughs> no, nope. Gotta and say, I, I, I gotta think, say, yeah, no. And <laughs> it also seems to be something that um, it's not that it shouldn't be shared, but it can't be appreciated except for by a very select few, of which the bookseller was one. Right, out of an entire town. <laughs> it's very um. Uh, I hate when I draw a blank. It's uh, my favorite color is blue. What's the oh in the mouth? Yeah, yeah, that's what this also feels like. I think kind of on the nose. Yeah. So go watch that. It's a good movie. It is a good movie, and I like that. I like that 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 is that is exactly the line that you would use for somebody who really likes that movie to recall what movie you're talking. We're just saying Sam Neill's not enough. So, well, yeah, because then we could have gone into Event Horizon, or yeah, Sam Neill's had some real bad uh, um, um, cosmic horror experiences during his career. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> probably stuff we should look into i think we've discussed that before um that yes that will bring us to the next tale the sect of the idiot which which begins all too fittingly with a quote from this book i've never heard of the necronomicon yep no idea what that is hmm. sounds interesting the quote yep. reads as the primal chaos lord of all the blind idiot god azathoth i've heard that before Mm-hmm. In my strange dreams. Um, well, there's your explicit through line from the last story into the next, I guess. <laughs> yep. <laughs> he's he's what? he's taken us by the hand for this um bit of the tour. Yeah. Yeah, this is the a, a, an incredibly guided tour portion of the the Songs of a Dead Dreamer exhibit. And we get again another nameless, on purpose nameless town. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, uh, there's a bit in the video, I'd love this little passage. Um, it is a miraculous hell toward which one unknowingly wanders, and its gate, in my case, was an old town whose allegiance to the unreal inspired my soul with a holy madness long before my body had come to dwell in that incomparable place. So again, this is this is a um, a backwards looking tale. Yep, like the first, where it's in hindsight uh, that all these terrible things have come to pass, but are now just um, kind of par for the court. They're a matter of fact; they cannot be changed. Um, if indeed they could have been changed in the first place, which doesn't seem like the case, right? Exactly. Yeah. It's that that I that I ultimate idea of it's not it's not even destiny, but that things are s- such as they are, and they're terrible in their existence. That that's all you get. Exactly. Yeah. Any anything else is a charade, an illusion of um of free will, really. Because you yes. str- struggle all you like. Uh, you're just deluding yourself into thinking that it's makes any kind of difference. Yep. Don't, 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 don't be the sucker that thinks that you're not a puppet 
That's right. So yeah, we've got a uh, we've got a, a a nameless narrator in a nameless town, uh, which are both uh, nameless specifically for uh, a, a reason, which we will uh, obviously get to. Um, I like uh, the description of the the town. Uh, seeming uh, endless and and and, and maze like, it reminds me of um, uh, a uh, Junji Ito short story. I believe it's called the the town with no streets or or something along mm, along yeah. those lines. Um, which which is a story about a a, a maze like town that seemingly has nothing but uh, back alleys and uh, and 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 actually no streets. Um, it also reminds me of the description uh, uh, the way that the town is rendered in uh, at the end of uh, Return of Morhan uh, in Melvina's therapy, where it's it's recursive and and fractaling in on itself. Yeah, I think I think that that's a, another good comparison. Now, this doesn't feel like it's time-looped. It's a place that is it's immutable in that yeah. it's not going to change, but it still does change. Right. There's, the change is, like, inexorable and all the more frightening um, because it's a subtle thing that you don't <laughs> notice until it's already happened. Right, exactly. It's a it's a thing where this um, sort of dreaminess um, is supplanted eventually by a, a dread, a dread that was probably always there, but but the the illusion of stillness, of unchanging, um, like forever afternoons and never ending nights, um, this sense of serenity um, that's that's given to this quaint little town uh, is is ultimately becomes the other side of the coin and uh, it's um uh something that like envelops you and is a suffocating thing yes it's, it becomes oppressive the the yeah. this this thing that was once pleasant and kind of kind of quaint has has become uh, um yeah, uh, as you said, suffocating and oppressive. Even though its its continence hasn't really really changed all that much, it is it is your perception of it that has altered. Yeah, there, there's a here's a small passage that kind of does better um, at delivering that. It is difficult to explain then how the old town also conveyed an impression of endlessness, of proliferating unseen dimensions, at the same time that it served as the very image of a claustrophobe's nightmare. Even the knights above the great roofs of the town seemed merely the uppermost level of an earthbound estate, at most an old attic in which the stars were useless heirlooms and the moon a dusty trunk of dreams. And this paradox was precisely the source of the town's enchantment. I imagine the heavens themselves as part of an essentially interior decor. So the, the town, I think, can feel... Another a good another good way to look at it maybe is that snow globe effect. Yeah. Where the things you see as um that should normally be infinite um are are self-contained. Right, exactly. But again, there's something still outside of that and that's what this is acknowledging like the universe that we see the 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 heavens and the stars 
are um they're merely a covering and it it doesn't give us hints at what's beyond that until a little bit later right the um the the narrator again gives a i'm just going to read it because it's it's otherwise it's not easy to surmise um he has a an issue i think with his self perception mm mm-hmm. and and it, it reads as this at the same time, I did not feel myself to be of any consequence in this or any other universe. I was nothing more than an unseen speck lost in the convolutions of strange schemes. And it was this very remoteness from the designs of my dream universe, this feeling of fantastic homelessness amid an alien order of being that was the source of anxieties I had never before experienced. I was no more than an irrelevant parcel of living tissue caught in a place I should not be threatened with being snared in some great dredging net of doom, an incidental shred of flesh pulled out of its element of light and into icy blackness. In the dream, nothing supported my existence, which I felt at any moment might be horribly altered or simply ended. In the most far-reaching import of the phrase, my life was of no matter. And I think that that is the heart of some of the horror uh, that this is trafficking in. There's a little bit more to come that I think is worse. But right. um, this this idea of, of insignificance, of being a speck in the universe, but something... Um, if people assign an importance to themselves, or the fact that people assign an importance to themselves, and even if... Uh, it is. It comes to light that we are like playthings of the gods. That idea. Um, that's kind of that's it's more of a, a Greek idea. Yes, in general. But um, with that in mind, um, being pawns on a chessboard. That's one. That's one idea that still has. Um, not that it's a valid idea, but that it still has a co- sort of comfort like buried in it. Mm-hmm. Like it's, it's, it's not a good concept as far as like something where you think pleasantly about it. It's an unpleasant idea. Um, yeah. As- aside from your fate is something already set. And, um, y- you, you can find you can take a sort of comfort in knowing that it's all ordained that there's a very specific goal a plan to things and you're just like a, a cog in the machine some mm-hmm. people find that comforting but this is different this is you are flotsam on a sea of chaos that doesn't matter right. uh, exactly. you're not you're not even worth being on the the board the you're not a piece in the game you're just an incidental meaningless spec that is caught up uh, as collateral damage in whatever's going on right that's that's far more terrifying i think because you can't how can you justify anything that that breaks down any sense of agency you may have because it, it's the agency you have if you're adrift in the middle of the ocean what can you possibly do other than just like surrender Right. Although I do think that it's interesting because uh, uh, it's interesting that that both examples are kind of just the two sides of the same coin. Uh, either either you have no agency because you're 
taught in a, a predestination, uh, no uh, inevitable ending uh, due, due to the whim of the fates, or you have no agency because everything is ultimately pointless. And there, since there is no point, there is ultimately no agency to be had. Um, they're both horrifying concepts um that i think about a lot all the time uh so <laughs> i'm i'm on board with with <laughs> talking about this hmm. and so <laughs> given, giving myself away a little bit here but yep yeah. yeah well with these with considering these two and there's there's other options of course but considering these two things one you're at least important enough to be a game piece Right. The other one, you you don't even get to be on the game board. You're just the dust that was swept off to clean the game board. Right. Maybe. And so something there's a greater thing that you aren't even privileged enough to like be able to recognize. Mm-hmm. And that's that I think is what the the horror that kind of trucks in these in these cosmic things where the if there's something beyond this and there are forces at play that are greater than us, they're doing something so incomprehensible and humanity is so utterly beneath their like notice that, um, that, that, I mean, that becomes of course the, the kind of classic um, existential horror. That's, that's what it is. Right. It's the, that feeling of um, meaninglessness. In, in the there or that there is no greater scheme of things uh alternatively also a horror um that that there is just chaos and we were unlucky enough to be able to recognize that as a a, a fact mm-hmm. again rolling back to um Lugati's core statement because that's that's the whole idea of consciousness being um the ultimate like burden um and the ultimate uh thing that is wrong with um all living things really right yeah yeah lighthearted stuff you know we, we love to have a little uh a little chuckle a little giggle yeah Hey, listen, somebody, somebody, somebody has to think about, about this. It, 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 it is, a, it is a statistical improbability that, that no one thinking about the, these concepts, uh, uh, as, 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 uh, as we can demonstrate by the fact that this podcast is a thing that exists. And even then, all we are are just echoes of ghosts talking about existential crises. Yeah. Well, it'll be great when this um <laughs> when this actually like uh eventually at some point in time uh, becomes that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. When when a hundred years from now some hapless soul is listening to us ramble on about this. But no, we're super entertaining. You should continue listening to us because we're great. Right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, to to bring things back to the more um, or less depressing state of of things, the um, our narrator uh, he's caught in this kind of city of dreams and yes. dreams within dreams, 
he he finds again the the the, t- the tallest structure in the town mm-hmm. that you cannot see from any so there's a bunch of windows he can see into most of the town from his vantage point but there's one place that he can't see into because it's it's above everything else like the asylum was above everything else right but he he makes his way to that place um unknowingly he just finds himself at the base of that um that edifice and the door uh it's not it's not barred to him it's left a little bit open mm-hmm. and so what do you do when you're curious you take a step inside and make your way up to the highest point of the building and find yourself privy uh to a a meeting i guess of sorts uh, a, a circle of chairs with very distinct um occupants mm-hmm. there's he, he gives um he gives it's a long to long winding um, description of what's going on here but i i pulled the small portion of it that's i think enough he's he's regarding the occupants of these chairs with their tall angular chairs arranged in a circle they appeared to be leaning in every direction like unsettled monoliths it was as if as if they were assuming postures that were mysteriously symbolic locking themselves in patterns hostile to mundane analysis above all it was their heads or at least their topmost segments that were skewed almost radically as they inclined toward one another nodding in ways heretical to terrestrial anatomy and it was from this part of their structures that there came forth a soft buzzing noise which seemed to serve them as speech but the dream offered another detail which possibly related to the mode of communication among these whispering figures who sat in stagnant moonlight for projecting out of the bulky sleeves dangling at each figure's side were delicate appendages that appeared to be withered wilted claws bearing numerous talons that tapered off into drooping tentacles i hate that description Um, (laughs) all of these stringy digits seem to be working together with lively and unceasing agitation So there's the the chaotic, unnatural geometries. Yep. Uh, And you get a little bit of uh, uh, Haunter in the Dark uh, with the the giant monolithic structure. And, um, oh man, I can't remember uh, the name of of the other Lovecraft story involving the Migos and the... Uh, letters back and forth between the narrator and a gentleman having some some uh eldridge issues but that's what what this reminds me of because on top of not only being unable to uh live without relating things to video games i am unable to live without relating things to lovecraft i will actually just desiccate and blow away to dust if i don't do it at least five times a day (laughs) um but yeah uh big 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 cult monster meeting uh doing their weird things where they don't talk like humans and they've got real gross hands i really love it's always really effective when when you give 
uh, when when an author uh, gives the hand anatomy, uh, and it is it is so wholly alien that you are both uh, repulsed and very very interested to know what is underneath the rest of the cloak. Just, yeah, I don't know that I want to know about that. Um, I am that claws that terminate in tentacles. It's yeah, it's, that's the one. It's two things that. Good job. There are two things that should not be <laughs> combined. Hey, listen, they're horror. That, that's horror peanut butter and chocolate right there, Dave. Oh yeah. No, I mean it's it's a it's a delicious description. It's very <laughs> evocative of something I don't ever want to see, but yet is now in my mind's eye because that's what <laughs> we do. We stand and we face the darkness and the puppets yeah. beyond. Yeah, so so our, our boy here um, found something he did not want to see, although he is, um, I do like, he, he he's remin- reminiscing about this, but um, he's giving us internal monologue, and his thought process is, is such that he's concerned and wondering if he came upon this by accident. Right. Or if it's design, like he was invited here to see, to kind of bear witness to this um, gathering. Mm-hmm. And the the implications of either of those things are, are, are separate um, and to be considered. And ultimately, if we find out that, yes, this um, this was an invitation of sorts. Right. I think I think we probably should will back up very quickly um, into a, a visit and a strange visit that he received at his, in his apartment. Um, a, a strange little man uh, knocked at his door and inquired um, as to if he had found the correct place, and then sort of seemingly dismissed that and sort of looked at a, a, the the note he had had on his person and was oh I've, I've I'm sorry I've found the wrong must have stumbled wrong the wrong apartment all. I'll bid you good day and kind of disappears. Mm hmm. Well, he comes back. <laughs> he meets our narrator one more time and in a different incarnation, a, um, a sinister, uh, avatar, I guess it's, it's yes. still, it's the same man, but now before where he was civil and, um, kind of stately um he is now all of those things render him a terrifying um presence <clears throat> and i like that uh he's he's echoing um a few sentiments and kind of divulging what sort of might be going on and <clears throat> entreating our our this our gentleman to, to sort of go where he needs to go where he's been summoned yes he has a there's a plan for this this man and uh he's like repeating your hand your hand (laughs) and of course we get the the classic reveal that um something's uh gone a little off uh with our narrator Uh, he has one man hand and one claw tentacles on the other. Yes. 
uh, uh, something which occurred after he uh, uh, passed his hand over a cube of strange, purely black, viscous liquid uh, that invoked in him a sensation uh, so uh, terrible that he loathed every atom uh, that clung to the bones of that appendage. Yes. So he done goofed and touched the thing. Yep, he didn't even touch the thing. He yeah, just, he just like he was just near it. <laughs> yeah, he yeah he he yeah, literally the, just got Eldridge radiation poisoning. Yeah. Actually, yeah, it's th- that 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 sort of weird black pool um, was in the the seat of those chairs because when he when he when he first encountered this, he was in a dream. Uh, he right. did upon waking go to that building and then lo and behold found those chairs um, devoid of weird um, apparitions but uh, very much in possession of uh, strange geometries and of course black pools where the seat would be mm-hmm. so I think he was inclined to you it's like I kind of feel like sitting on these crazy thrones but it's full of goo yep so I'll just wave my hand over it oh that was a that was a terrible bad idea. Mistake. Bad idea. Yeah. Yep. Now, now I'm in's mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's three. That's my third one. I only have two more, and then I'll be good for the rest of the day. <laughs> but yes, this uh, this one wraps up with him steadily becoming more and more like the the uh, the, the creatures. Um, that he encountered his hands, his body, everything he, he makes point of, I didn't see what was beyond those, um, cloaks they wore, but if I ever wanted to know, I could just look in a mirror because now he's, he's, he's resembled them in, in shape and, um, stature. And he's, he's writing to us uncomfortably through his, um, tentacly hands and can only give wonder uh, to if it's his handwriting at all or if he's being controlled um, by some faraway thing. The story itself also brings another point um, and, that, and that's where it's uh, <clears throat> talking about these, these idiot gods and these these gathering of these creatures. Uh, he, sen- he can sort of sense that um, they, they are above humanity. They are, mm-hmm. are are masters of this particular realm, but they themselves are not an extension, but um, being puppeted um, from something even further beyond. Right. So that's that's even, even it's like a sort of transient, um, extra existential uh, horror. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it reminds me of forget what the uh the insectoid race from mass effect 2 was but the fact that uh the uh reaper sovereign could simply just puppet one of them as uh as it pleased um is is exactly what i get from this it is a a, a filtering down of 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 some cosmic entities agency um, controlling all of these pieces uh, on the board. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah, and just the pieces themselves are already like horrendously terrifying and in a, in a, yes, that far above um, humanity, right? So making it all the worse. Um, and there is uh, the uh, uh, a quote that uh, sticks with me uh, because it is um, it's also something that just sticks in my brain. Uh, Life is a nightmare that leaves its mark upon you in order to prove that it is, in fact, real. Hmm. Yep. <laughs> my, and my response to that is, is yep, that mm-hmm. sure is. Well, furthermore, I will pull this quote, and it's not it, it's just a phrase. The triumph of the grotesque. I think it's just as evocative um, Yep, as Chaos at Feast. Uh, and here is the, the bit um, about, uh, about the, uh, the cloaked masters. Uh, what was imparted to my witnessing mind was the vision of a world in a trance, a hypnotized parade of beings sleepwalking to the odious manipulations of their whispering masters, those hooded freaks who were themselves among the hypnotized. For there was a power superseding theirs, a power which they served and from which they merely emanated, something which was beyond the universal hypnosis by virtue of its very mindlessness, its awesome idiocy. These cloaked masters, in turn, partook in some measure of godhood, passively presiding as enlightened zombies over the multitudes of the entranced, that frantic domain of the human. Yeah, that's... Very evocative. Yep. And also a bad time. But yep, uh, it's, it's, yes, super it's always it's always a bad time. It's always a bad time. <laughs> yes. And um it's it's even uh it's even more interesting when he's um he, he flees the tower and he's just wandering out of town and he's just hearing people like whispering about him and they're just saying like um, those poor, what a terrible that poor man deformity, mm-hmm. Disf- disfigurement, uh, and then of course when he he looks down his at his hands, it's it's this wonderful line of, for only one of these hands was mine, the other belonged to them, right, which of course is um uh, now followed by that that uh, wonderful quote that you had pulled. Yeah. yeah, I I liked this one. Um. Not as much as the first story. Mm-hmm. I like the idea of the weird staticky ghost just like distressing everyone, but being otherwise inert. Like right. the, the the horror of that thing just existing, but not posing like an actual threat. Is um, yeah, exactly. It's it's a better horror than than this of the the puppet of a puppet of a puppet. Yes, like everything, everything under the the sway of this uh, is this blind idiot god, uh, whose power is phenomenal, but there is no plan. Exactly. Yeah, there, yeah, because the, yeah, there's yeah, it's yeah, it's the it's the it's the flailings of 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 a being lacking complete and total uh, sapience. 
Yeah. So basically, you're, you're, everything's the playthings of a sort of an infant, an infant god. Right. Hmm. Yeah, and he, uh, it, it can can anything really be malevolent if if the 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 being perpetrating uh, 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 quote unquote atrocities has no concept of 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 atrocity of horror of 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 nightmare is 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 the real horror of of existence, Dave uh, Sapience itself. I wonder. <laughs> I don't know. Someone should write a book about it. Yep. <laughs> uh, that wraps up the second tale. And then we'll take a look at this, this third one. Um, is I think going to be briefer just because of, yeah. its, of its nature. This is the greater festival of masks, which is no less evocative. Um, and I just, well, it's, it's a town and a man. Sounds familiar. Mm-hmm. Uh, Who gets a name? <laughs> yes. This is uh, Nos. Nos. And I've pulled a small quote from the beginning of it. And now is just the season for so many things to pass into emptiness and make way for other entities and modes of being. Such are the declining days of the festival, when the old and the new... And the real and the imaginary truth and deception all join in the masquerade. Which is the, like, the, the, the main thrust of this, um, this tale. Yep. We get uh, more, more descriptions of this sort of quaint little town where everything's, again, sort of claustrophobic. Uh, right. The streets are more tightly strung here, and a single one may have several names compressed into it from end to end. Some of the names may be credited less to deliberate planning or even the quirks of local history than to an apparent need for the superfluous. <laughs> That's a good one. Perhaps a similar need may explain why the, why the buildings in this district exhibit so many pointless embellishments. Doors which are elaborately decorated yet will not budge in their frames. Massive shutters covering blank walls behind them. Enticing balconies, well-railed and promising in their views, but without any means of entrance. Stairways that enter dark niches and a dead end. These, uh, what this all reminds me of is, uh, like, a, a stage. Mm-hmm. Like, set dressings. Mm-hmm. Or, or just facades of buildings that are ultimately just masks. Oh. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep, yep. Um, there's also an aspect that, uh, that reminds me of the, uh, the Winchester ghost house. Uh, yes, yes. With the, all the, the myriad, um, hidden rooms, the dead ends, the stairs going nowhere, the the Mm -hmm. doors opening into just brick. Uh, Yeah. The seemingly pointless redundancy, structural redundancies, but uh, spread out over an entire town. Yeah, again, well, it's a it's a very evocative image. Yep. Sounds it, like a place that I don't want to live. Yeah, not, not uh, or just, you know, if you're going to be there, don't be there during festival time. Yeah, I mean, really, don't be there at all. The moment I'm like, when town just has, like, stuff 
for no reason, that's a big red flag for me. Of, mm. of, of, I don't, I don't think this place, this place gives off bad energy to me already. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah, so our 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 character Nas, um, our narrator, he he's grown up in this town. He's mm-hmm. been there his whole life. Um, he's seen these festivals kind of come and go. These the smaller ones. And um, he's never really participated in them. So there's some sort of, like, they feel like they're a rite of passage, but an optional one. Like, it's not Mm -hmm. something you have to partake in, but um, I think fate or something otherwise decrees. Otherwise, um, eventually, you all will join the masquerade. He... um, he decides this year will be the year he's going to go to a mask shop and purchase a mask and join in the revelry. Uh, and I think as opposed to the years before, this particular festival is a little different. He's he's finding kind of disquiet in um, noting as he's going to the town that uh, there's there has been the revelries, but they're kind of passing like – still going on yet ending in some fashion because he's, he's coming across bits of costume uh, masks jammed into uh, just weird places, fences, um, uh, cracks in walls, um, Mm -hmm. alleyway entrances. The, the allure of the festival was always in, I think the, the garish um, goings on people's um, sort of, they leave their houses open, kind of inviting Revel, revelers to to come in and it's a sort of a taboo um, forbidden kind of feeling because he, he never knows what's going on i mean or i guess one never knows what's going on behind those slightly closed doors yes um, but that adds to the allure of course and um, he as we said he decides this year to go pick himself up a mask mm-hmm. how does that go uh, it goes bad. I mean, it, it the decision to do anything in all of these stories uh, it, uh, goes bad. Um, let's see. Uh, he goes to a mash shop. Um, and there is a. Let's see. I should should. He finds a he finds a mask uh, by knocking over a bunch of other masks. the 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 shop isn't isn't the shopkeeper isn't there immediately when he goes in, which kind of owes to the weird decline that this this festival is is having. Yeah, it's, um, it's winding down. Right. Um, and he knocks over a bunch of masks uh, and manages to hold on to one of them. Shopkeeper says, uh, brilliant choice, says the uh, shopkeeper who steps out from behind the counter at the back of the shop. Put it on and let's see. Yes, my gracious, this is excellent. You see how your entire face is well covered from the hairline to just beneath the chin and no further? And at the sides, it uh, it clings snugly. It doesn't pinch, am I right? The mask, the mask nods in agreement. Good. That's how it should be. Your ears are unobstructed, and you have very nice ones, by the way, in case someone calls out to you while your face is concealed by the mask. Ah. Uh, 
it is comfort it is comfortable yet secure enough to stay put and not fall off in the heat of activity. So he he finds a perfect mask, a seemingly perfect mask, um, that the the shopkeeper remarks on um, how perfect it is, and then immediately suggests like a horrible, uncomfortable like party city mask for for no reason. <laughs> Yeah, it's one that um, Nas finds abhorrent, and um, he's he's like, oh, I'll just get the one that you said was the perfect one. Yeah, <laughs> and the shopkeepers just giving him like the side eye, going like, "What, really? Is that? I don't know if that's the one you want." Uh, and then he, of course, he gives this um, a little bit, a little bit of, uh, you know, have you are you from the town? You're not visiting, and uh, Nas is like, "Yes, I'm, I'm from the town." And he's like, well, perfect. Um, that means I can trust you enough to watch the store for a moment. I'm going to just go step out. If anyone shows up, just help them as best you can. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, t- um, you, can t- you can take the time when I'm gone to mull over the masks and, you know, make your final choice. So these aren't something that you would, like, I guess, purchase. You can just take them. I, I guess so. Um, there, uh, I, this, uh, the, the shop Or I guess owner- the, the buy-in is not money. <laughs> maybe right. maybe the more more the case uh the shopkeeper um um like leaving the store in in Nas's care um uh, kind of highlights that this this story out of the three uh today has kind of the mo- most dreamlike elements to it because it doesn't um even though everything is presented as matter of fact, it is it is so antithetical to to basic logic and understanding that it all seems as if it's filtered through a dream. Um, I don't know if you you know what I uh, I mean by that, but it, it is because the things that are talked about are kind of cursory details, mm-hmm. and everything. I mean, when when Nas is describing his even his trek through the town are in that kind of state because, right. because he's, he's caught up in the wonderment, the merriment of the festival. Mm-hmm. So everything's kind of couched in that, um, that sort of gaze. Right. That, that fake, that, that event. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's something temporary mm-hmm. in, in construction. Like a dream would be like um, ephemeral. It's, it's something that's is only exists in the moment. Um, and it's soon going to be gone. And then just only once it's gone, it just leaves the detrius of its passing and the, the, the wasted things that people have to like collect and pick up the, the vestiges of dream, um, that are too, I think too real to when you go to try to recall the thing that happened, it's never as good as when you were just actually experiencing it. Right. I think that's a that's a very good read on that. Yeah, and I think you could you could uh, well in this case apply that uh, with a broader brush <laughs> than to just a single festival. Right. Uh, Nas is, as we we've said, uh, now responsible for um, 
helping customers out and he he gets a visit um of figureless a visit where he's just hearing words from beyond a door yeah of, of customers uh, have come, come up to the shop just like hey bring us some masks we need more masks yeah to the to, uh, they've come up to the back of the shop which from the description seems like it's a mile away from yeah. the <laughs> from the store it is it is every narrow corridor and every silent hill game ever to get to the back door of this shop um, that Nos is then immediately uneasy to open, uh, because, uh, yeah, that, that seems off. <laughs> no, I think he's even, and she's like, why don't you just come inside and take a look? And they're like, no, just bring us some masks. Yeah. And I think it's interesting that they specifically, don't they specifically say five masks and, uh, and, and Nos, when he makes his delivery, only notices four individuals? Yeah. Yeah, and it's furthermore, it's like we're out in the back, across um, the across the, uh, the fence, um, in another yard. We'll be by the bonfire. Just give us the masks. Yep. So he doesn't ever actually see them, except for through, through like a, um, a hole in the fence. Exactly. And of course, the view that he finds is um, more than a little unsettling. Mm-hmm. Because 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 they they don't got no faces. Surprise! They yes, they they <laughs> were wearing masks, yeah, which seemed securely fitted. But one by one, these masks appear to loosen and slip down, as if each is losing hold upon its wearer. Finally, one of the figures pulls his mask off completely and tosses it into the fire, where it curls and shrinks into a water bubbling blackness. The others follow this action when their time comes. Relieved of their masks, the figures resume their shrugging stance, but. The light of the fire now shines on four. Yes, four smooth and faceless faces. Yep. And then there's a fifth person standing in the shadows. So there was, oh, right. well, there was a fifth person. Um, right. And uh, someone screaming at him. These are the wrong ones, you little idiot. We have no more use for these. Yeah, yeah. That's not ominous. Um, also, a uh, 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 good rule of thumb, bad idea to make your masks out of shrinky dinks. Because clearly that's <laughs> what, because clearly that's what that material was. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was just, I, li I just really liked the, yeah, and then it just kind of curled up and bubbled away. And I'm like, he's wearing shrinky dink masks, not even wood. What are these masks made out mm -hmm. of? And uh, so yeah, he re he returns to the um the shop. The shopkeeper's back, and he's he's like, I, I there, some people came up, and I got him the wrong masks. And of course, the uh, the shopkeeper says, Don't 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 worry about it. Um, did you pick your mask? And uh, he he, of course, just goes for the one that was more fitting the aesthetic, right. aesthetic mask, um the the people face one. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm a human mask. Yeah. Surprise. Yeah, the, the other ones were all like contorted, too heavy, had too many eyes and nose holes. Um, yep. Just ill fitting. In the, in the in all sense of the word. And the shopkeeper tells him to uh 
to, you know, to, to, you know, enjoy the festival, but actually there's a place you should go. I think that would be suitable for you. Uh, it's a newer building and you'll find it just down the road. Uh, take some stairs down and, um, you'll, you'll find the place you, I think we're looking for. Once again, like I, I, I mentioned it before, but like, there's a weird, like dreamlike logic to all of this where it's just like and and i the 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 people told me to drop some masks off so i did but then they screamed at me and now you're telling me to go to a new building because i picked the mask and it's 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 very effective at 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 keeping the reader um um off balance with whatever's going on because because of the nature of of this being in media res during an event that is is not explained at all it all just feels like like nonsense logic even though this is clearly actually happening mm. and and we get this bit which i this was this is actually a fairly long passage um Nas does not stop once or twice and dead in his tracks as if someone um, does stop once or twice uh, as if someone just called his name. Then he thoughtfully caresses his chin and smooth cheeks. He also touches other parts of his face frantically before proceeding toward the tall gray building. By the time he reaches the stairway at the side, he cannot keep his hands off himself. Finally, Nas puts on one of the masks, this being the semblance that was well, so well sized for him. Somehow it no longer fits as it once did. It keeps slipping as he descends the stairs, which look worn down by countless footsteps, bowed in the middle by the tonnage of time. Yet Nos remembers the shopkeeper saying this place had not been here very long. The room at the bottom, which Nas now enters, looks very old and is very quiet. At this late stage of the festival, it is crowded with occupants who do nothing but sit silently in the shadows, with a face here and there reflecting the dull light. These faces or horribly simple, falling far short of countenances exhibiting familiar articulations. But gradually, they are assuming features, though not those they once had. And the developments in progress, if the ear listens closely, are not entirely silent. Perhaps this is how a garden might sound if it could be heard growing in the dead of night. And I don't like it. Yep. <laughs> Hmm. I suppose there's the the bit that I, I left off a piece because I did like the ending of Growing in the Dead of Night. But here, on this night, the only sound is the soft creaking of new faces breaking through old flesh. And they are sprouting very nicely. Yep. Um... Surprise, face growers. They, ugh, ugh. Um, <laughs> I don't, I don't like, uh, I don't like the idea of features growing out of the face. I'm sure nobody does. Um, uh, so yeah, that was a real good way to 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 end that story. Um, I'm not, I have yet to, to settle on an, an interpretation. Read, of, read of the last day. paragraph of this one. All right. It's short. Yes. <clears throat> For the old festival has ended. 
so that a greater festival may begin. And of the old and of the old time nothing will be said, because nothing will be known. But the mask of that departed era, forgotten in a world that has no tolerance for monotony, will find something to remember. And perhaps they will speak of those days as they loiter on the threshold of doors that do not open, or in the darkness at the summit of, of stairways leading nowhere. So this, to me, because of the nature of these masks... um I'm reading this as dis the masks are discarded humanity ah. and the, the memory of humanity of history, discarded history, <clears throat> not to be acknowledged, to be kind of buried and forgotten in the, in the, in this, the revel, the um, revelry of a greater new festival, that transcendence of humanity into something beyond it. Uh, uh -huh. But, but the, the ghosts, the spirits of, um, mankind uh are are forgotten but not gone it's the opposite of right. the, the old kind of adage and that these these memories of of the vestiges of what once were um st still by their nature have a tale to tell mm -hmm. but there's no one around to listen right or they're just ignored which is I guess worse than there being no one around to listen. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I I do actually like that that last sentence uh, does kind of weirdly tie into the uh, Winchester House with them uh, standing at the threshold of doors that will not open and uh, uh, the summit of stairways leading nowhere. Almost as if it, almost as if it's it. This place is a a trap for for this discarded, forgotten humanity, uh, keeping keeping it there with its its myriad of pointless uh, excesses, architectural excesses. Yeah, I I hmm, this is I think my least favorite of the narratives, but I like mm -hmm. the imagery that it evokes the most. Yeah. I agree. Like how it ends is the most like satisfying of the, <clears throat> of the climaxes of this, the, the ending of these tales, because it's evocative of, um, of time and memory of things moving on, um, leaving the past to be discarded, but, that doesn't it it's it doesn't strip the past of meaning it just makes it superfluous right exactly which is its own other horror yes. <laughs> surprise these stories are 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 built to make you feel bad <laughs> <laughs> constructed and constructed for maximum angst And that's what we were looking for. <laughs> and we didn't even know it. Yep. We found our very own masks. <laughs> Surprise. They still fit. For now. That 
covers our uh, our three tales for today, but we're not done uh, yet, dear listener, because we have to go over the last Messiah. Dave, this is a thing. <laughs> it's it's something going on. So. <laughs> It's an essay, uh, as we mentioned, by Peter Veselzapfa. This was published in a, a the journal Genus, um, the ninth entry in that journal, or the ninth uh, volume of that journal in 1933, and originally yes. in Norwegian, because that's where Peter Veselzapfa is he's from Norway. <laughs> and uh, this is, of course, the English version, because... Uh, as far as I'm aware, neither of us can read Norwegian. No. I cannot. Hmm. So, wh- um, what did you think of this? We've had snippets, little snippets of this um, so far in Conspiracy Against the Human Race. But this is mm-hmm. the, the full force of it um, all at once. It's, it's short. Uh, yes. About 12, 12 pages or so. Um, but I think it's, um, it's articulated very well. Uh, how did you feel on just beginning to read this? Um, uh, uh, because this reads differently than how, um, Ligotti, uh, phrases himself. Yes. Um, uh, th- this is, uh, this is going to, this is going to sound weird, possibly make, uh, certain, uh, audience members, uh, uh, take pause. But, uh, reading this, reading The Last Messiah is, is, is a, is like putting on, uh, an old worn coat that I am very familiar with. Um, <laughs> this is, these are, this is a, a discussion, a conversation, a thought experiment that I have run through, um, numerous times over my life. Um, um, it helps keep me even, uh, by, uh, uh, examining unpleasant concepts. So, yeah, as I started to read, read this, I said, ah, good. It's not over. Um, uh, that, that, that will mull over these, um, very unpleasant, um, uh, uh, thought concepts, um, examinations of the human experience. So, um, yes, I was on board. I, I, I didn't feel good, but I, I, it, it was very familiar. In reading this, I hmm, my experience similar, but I find this um, maybe just as much as um, conspiracy against the human race. There's a a kind of cold comfort in it. So mm-hmm. uh, this m- more than um, conspiracy is uh, it's more accessible. Because yes. for one, it's shorter; uh, it, it makes its point sooner. Um, but it takes the time to break down um, what it's talking about in a short space and not uh, overstay its welcome. Mm-hmm. 
and I, I believe these are actual um, sort of excerpts from uh, Zapfa's. It's a book he's um, written that uh, it's. Um, yeah, I had it pulled up, and then now I've, of course, misplaced it. Uh, it's a book on the tragic. So this is a distill distillation of his theories um, that he puts forth in that book and just makes this an, an essay, an essay okay. form. It reads better in essay form than in book form, which is the the issue with um, conspiracy against the human race, which is not long, but it's long enough that it takes far more time to digest um, than this is a succinct, um, to-the-point uh, version. Yes. Distillation is mm. is always appreciated. Uh, particularly when it comes to uh, reading any sort um, of philosophy or any kind of text <laughs> like that. Yeah. Uh, I I enjoy the process of getting to the point, um, but on occasion I just want to just give me a summary so I can absorb it more readily in a quicker fashion. And then should I need to take the time to go back and kind of get the nuances of it. Exactly. I know authors who use subtext and they're all captains. <laughs> yes. Just give us, <laughs> give us the, the meat of the statement, please. <laughs> this one, I've pulled uh, quotes from it. Uh, yes. But like in conspiracy, um, there's, there's, there are, they become quotes without context, um, because of the way that this is kind of framed. Mm -hmm. Um, this is, uh, in, in regard to, so how this is, this is the last Messiah, how it is framed in, is the, the beginning of man in his first understanding of, um, consciousness, his, his, gaining of the the knowledge and wisdom uh from the tree of the tree of knowledge um mm -hmm. and his um subsequent expulsion from paradise that idea of um innocence lost has known too much um and is cursed and burdened by that knowledge or in this case burdened by the idea and um form of consciousness it's kind of like conscious thought Yes. So the quote I pulled up is this. He's, he's just been expelled uh, and is, is in, in charge of his own fate. He's steering his own ship. Um, and, right. and anything within his reach, his, his power extends to uh, not what he can see, but what he can touch. Exactly. And these things are that 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 ability, that charge of things within arm's reach, um, are, does even as limited as it is, still comes with a cost. Mm -hmm. And here's the here's the quote. So there he stands with his visions betrayed by the universe in wonder and fear. The beast knew fear as well in thunderstorms and on the lion's claw. But man became fearful of life itself, indeed, of his very being. Life, that was for the beast to feel the play of power. It was heat and games and strife and hunger. And then at last, to bow before the law, of course. In the beast, suffering is self-confined. 
in man. It knocks holes into a fear of the world and a despair of life. Uh, there's a there's a bit more of just kind of describing the fear of uh, the natural world. Yes, and what what that um, entails, the the benefits of nature being um, mirrored or like shadow cast by the threat that it poses, basically. Right. Uh, the quote continues further uh, futures curtain unraveled itself to reveal a nightmare of endless repetition, a senseless squander of organic material. The suffering of human billions makes its entrance into him through the gateway of compassion from all that happen arises a laughter to mock the demand for justice, his profoundest ordering principle. He sees himself emerge um, in his mother's womb. He holds up his hand in the air and it has five branches Whence this devilish number five? And what has it to do with my soul? He is no longer obvious to himself. He touches his body in utter horror. This is you. And so far do you extend and no farther. Yeah. Yep. That's the part of, it's not the heart of everything, but that is part and parcel of agency. Like you are theoretically in control of your own actions mm -hmm. but your own actions the reach of them is not uh it's not something that you can um define concretely right. at least as yes. far as, as as any any your agency is concerned only with yourself and were and are, should you be able to affect something in an immediate er, uh, area you cannot foresee um, further than that. It, yes. Unless you uh, yeah, spend a lot of time thinking about probability and attempting to foresee outcomes. Yeah. And that's still, that's still something that's, it's not, uh, it's not accountable. Right. Right. Like, at least not, not completely. Because it, yeah, because it, it, it's, it, because it doesn't exist until it does. And, and yes. did you really have any control over it other than predicting its possibility of happening? Yep. Uh, good feeling times with, uh, yep. Oh, is, did I want to eat that cookie or did the chemicals in my brain? Yeah. Decide so, that so I you're, wanted you're to even, eat that cookie. You're even at the mercy of your own nature. Um, exactly. And there, there's a small, I didn't even pull this quote, but I, I, just, I can see it right now. Um, he is the universe's helpless captive, kept to fall into nameless possibilities, which is what we just discussed. Uh, the, 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 I think it's the par the paradox of choice, um, or the paralyzation of choice is the better the better term, not the paradox. So this is where uh, potentialities and possibilities um, can render you um, insensate. Because mm -hmm. the, the moment that you try to take into consideration more than uh, a handful, maybe five choices uh, to be appropriate, it's um, it's too much and can just stop you 
Yep. You're halted by your own ability to even make uh, choices in the first place or to consider exactly. – it's really not to make them, but to consider effects of what you do uh, can be too much. Yes. And, and I, I and I'm sure many others can attest to, to seeing that personally um, – and as as an anecdote, uh, uh, going into a uh, into a fast food restaurant and standing behind the person who reaches the counter and hasn't made a decision as to what they want yet, um, a myriad of decisions and 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 complete inability to be decisive because there are too many options. What uh personally when I present people with with options of things, I I typically uh uh, uh give three. And sometimes that's also too many. <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. Uh, and 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 the, then the, when I discover that three is too many, then I kinda of... Well the best option uh can I think be Instead, the illusion of choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because as we'll find, um, we are very good at using illusion to uh, comfort ourselves. Right. Um, and to hammer home, uh, uh, the, hammer home how important the illusion of choice is, I'm officially announcing that we'll be starting a new podcast talking about Telltale Games. I'm kidding. We're not doing that. That's not happening. <laughs> <laughs> your illusion's not strong enough <laughs> try harder yeah <laughs> um yeah it's all real heady unpleasant philosophical stuff that people generally actively dislike thinking about and mm -hmm. if you make them think about it they actually become angry most of the time Yes, um, and and I get well. I'll pull another quote because that's what they're there for. The human being saves itself and carries on. It performs, to extend a settled phrase, a more or less self-conscious repression of its damaging surplus of consciousness. This process is virtually constant during our waking and active hours, and is a requirement of social adaptability and of everything commonly referred to as a healthy and normal living. Hmm. Yeah, just ignore it. Don't think about yeah. it. Think of something yeah. more pleasant and you will be fine. Yep, you'll be happy if you just don't think. <laughs> that's that's the lesson that I've learned and I'm like, well, I I I can't do that. That's all that I do. It's it's literally the only joy that I have in this world is 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 thinking and exploring ideas and thoughts. That is what makes me happy. The thing that makes me the most miserable is also the thing that makes me the happiest. Because human beings are giant, fleshy paradoxes. <laughs> well, don't worry, because according to Engstrom, one should not think. It's just confusing. Yep. Bleh. It's so bad. It's so rough. <laughs> like, I love it, but man, 
it's like actually actively talking about it. It's like, yeah, I can, I absolutely understand how people don't like thinking about this stuff. Hmm. Uh, so he introduces four modes of how people deal with uh, everything kind of just sucking. <laughs> Cause that's what this sort of is, is uh, everything is bad and people are just really good at um, ignoring it. Mm-hmm. So we have the. Uh, I think I would have had that part pulled up. I didn't pull it up. Um, isolation, where you're yeah. just re- you're removing yourself or the thing um, from from the which is the one should not think it's just, it's just confusing. Um, or you're you're just that that you're using your own illusion to borrow a phrase. Then we have uh, anchoring, which is giving yourself assurance in a, a state of normalcy. So there's something you have to find something in your life uh, that is a constant that you can yes. rely on. And the 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 horror and the falsity in that becomes when you understand that even those fixed points aren't uh, really there because you've constructed them. Right. Or some, or someone has constructed them for you, mm-hmm. and that's when that's when problem occurs. Is when you when you realize that that thing that you've created or has been done for you is not a actual constant; it's a fabrication. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these are at play in our our daily life, of course. And here's a small little quote that I think is apropos to anyone um, that works. <laughs> <laughs> Public use, publicly useful anchorings are met with sympathy. He who sacrifices himself totally for his anchoring, the firm, the cause, is idolized. He has established a mighty bulwark against the disillusion of life, and others are by suggestion gaining from his strength. So, um, yeah, <laughs> that's that's uh, not applicable. What 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 is the what are the uh, eternal anchors for reality in demon souls. What are they called again? I don't remember. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. I it just it just makes me think of that uh, of that that one specific NPC that's like, yeah, the, what we do our our entire existence is we literally lock down what is reality because yeah. without us, it would just all fall apart. So, yes, reality is a construct maintained by us to an extent, but it, it's it's for your own good. That's that's what anchoring. <laughs> yes. And it's um generally fairly effective. Yes. Um, because that because that's one of the few things uh where it is um it's effective not on the individual level, but more effective on a social level. Exactly. It is. Yeah. It is. It is. It it, it is more effective as a a concept uh, uh, related to the social contract rather than um, personal morality. It is. It is. It becomes an anchor that that um, that that secures reality. Mm. And 
Oh, look, something also appropriate. Both for collective and individual anchorings, it holds that when a segment breaks, there is a crisis that is graver to the closer that the segment, uh, the closer the segment is to the main firmaments. Within inner circles, sheltered by outer ramparts, such crises are daily and fairly pain-free occurrences. These are just disappointments. Something didn't go the way you wanted, but it is kind of dismissible. Even mm-hmm. a play, uh, even a playing with anchoring values is here seen. So, uh, wittiness, so jocularity, making jokes about bad things, uh, jargon, uh, and alcohol. So small vices to help you deal with the daily grind. Yeah, but during such play, one may accidentally rip a hole right to the bottom, and the scene is instantly transformed from euphoric to macabre. And that's going to depend on uh, the nature of the thing you're using um, as that anchor. Yep. Because, again, anything used to uh, excess, uh, instead of becoming a painkiller... Uh, is the opposite. Yes. You're just exposing more of the raw nerve because what you're doing is looking at your reality um, temporarily uh, anchor-free. Yeah. That's least, why you should all have at least weekend. five anchors, people. Five things that you thoroughly, you completely believe in that hold the fabric of reality together that way you can switch off as needed in order to not look too deep into the the nightmare of everyday human existence yes <laughs> but i've got something for that too oh no we love the anchorings for saving us but also hate them for limiting our sense of freedom Whenever we feel strong enough, we thus take pleasure in going together to bury an expired value and style. Material objects take on a symbolic import here. When a human being has eliminated these of his anchorings that are visible to himself, only the unconscious ones stay put. Then he will be able to call himself a liberated personality. And the the uh, the the quote works backwards too because there's a bit slightly before it. <laughs> the horror of this stems from the loss of all sheltering values, the rapture from uh, his now by now ruthless identification and harmony with our nature's deepest secret, the biological unsoundness, uh, the enduring disposition for doom. So I think it's a, uh, a sort of self-defeating uh, scenario. Mm-hmm. Because the anchors uh, are are in fact limiting. You 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 can only go so far from. You can stray so far from those things before they become, of course, less effective or more noticeable. Right. So we need to uh, change them out, swap it for something yep. else to deceive ourselves for that little while longer. Yep. And just hope that the new anchor uh, will hold um, as steadily as the old ones did. Yeah, listeners, if you ever have anybody that, uh, a close friend or a close, uh, that, uh, you haven't seen for maybe a couple of years and have had a radical personality shift, that is probably them discarding an anchor, an old, ineffective anchor for a new one. And of course, never forget, uh, anchors, uh, are just, 
uh, different names for shackles. So <laughs> you're just going to lock yourself into one place unless you cut yourself loose and throw another one into the water. Doesn't this make you feel good to think about? <laughs> I mean, yeah, it does. And, uh, yeah, it I, does. It, it does actually. And I wonder if there's something else because sometimes a little bit of distraction helps you. And exactly. that's the other mode of protecting yourself is distraction. And of course he gives a, uh, 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 enthralling example of some dialogue which I will not <laughs> actually quote because it's very it's very brief um, the idea here is I'll just read it. Uh, distraction is for example the high society's tactic for living it can be likened to a flying machine made of heavy material but embodying a principle that keeps it airborne whenever applying it must always be in motion as air only carries it fleetingly, the pilot may grow drowsy and comfortable out of habit, but the crisis is acute as soon as the engine flunks. And, uh, so, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah distraction. Distraction is also a really good one. Um, I, uh, I, I really love that, that everything is, uh, well, not love. That's a choice of words. I, I I enjoy that everything is um is a coin flip. It is it is it it is this. It is it's an anchor, but it's also a shackle. It's distraction, but it's also a, a, a separate like a distinct separation, a way to uh, remove yourself, separate yourself from 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 these thoughts, these questions through things that ultimately don't matter so it's it's just it's a it it makes you makes you feel bad bad good all at the same time <laughs> yeah and then of course this gets um even more uh um, positive yes. <laughs> final positive notes here and these are when um, the protective mechanisms that you have created have uh, failed yep or if you didn't have them in the first place that uh, th this turns into um, depression yeah. By and large, mm -hmm. or or a firmer resolution of that, there is um, there's modes of coping that aren't these distractions. Yes, and there are. Interestingly enough, um, so that this is what this is boiling down to is um, uh, small quote again. When a human being takes his life in depression, this is a natural death of spiritual causes. The modern barbarity of saving the su suicidal is based on a harassing misapprehension of the nature of existence. Uh, only a limited part of humanity can make do with mere changes, whether in work, social life, or entertainment. The cultured person demands connections, lines, progression in the changes. Nothing finite 
satisfies at length. One is ever proceeding, gathering knowledge, making career. The phenomenon is known as yearning or transcendental tendency. Whenever a goal is reached, the yearning moves on. Hence, its object is not the goal, but the very attainment of it. The gradient, not the absolute height of the curve representing one's life. So that just constant striving for something better. For right. uh, the idea of um, uh, life is uh, not inherently bad. It, it's just all right. Um, but tomorrow may be better than today, which may be better than yesterday was. Right. And if it's not better, I will make it better by by acquiring things, titles, statuses, objects, uh, distractions to um, placate myself and trick myself into thinking that everything I am and have and will be and can affect is better than it actually is. Right. Uh, with the, uh, the, the coin flip inverse of that being... Man, this wouldn't be an issue for you if you weren't sapient and unable to uh, even look forward to tomorrow. If you just managed to exist one day at a time without recall or foresight, maybe, maybe you would be happier then. But you would just kind of be an animal. Yes, and even then, that's that's not um, devoid of amount of consciousness because they still have fear they still have right. these base um, desires uh, to prolong something that doesn't have a purpose yep the uh, the lizard part of your brain everyone's got it something yes. something ticks it <laughs> actually a lot of things yeah. to be perfectly honest <laughs> And there's um, there's a bit here, actually slide up slightly above it. So this is in regard to um, death. Death as an option or an escape. Mm-hmm. Um, death always appears as an escape. One ignores the possibilities of the hereafter. Uh, and as the way death is experienced is partly dependent on feeling and perspective, it may be quite an acceptable solution. If one in statu mortis could manage a pose, a poem, a gesture... To die standing up, a final anchoring, or a final distraction, then such a fate is not the worst one at all. Which is a very interesting concept. You're yep. you're you're assigning meaning to a a final thing, and in doing so, uh, by attributing that as a a valid means of um, escaping the reality that you find mm-hmm. yourself in uh it's become a a positive it's yes a, it's, a, it's a net positive rather than and uh escape and that ties into the idea of uh entropy being the natural state of things everything is tending toward destruction um right. creation is only um, valid in so much that it will uh, cease to be. Yes, you're exactly. <laughs> you feel good. You feeling good about yourself, audience? I know I keep asking, but I always I feel that I actually, Big Mama Bird, 
need to check in on our audience, make sure that they're okay with this. Because once again, uh, a lot of people uh, tend to uh, skew away from from subject the, this subject subjects uh, oh, such as these. Do, do they? <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I, know. I found a quote. <laughs> The human yearning is not merely marked by a striving toward, but equally by an escape from. And if we use the word in a religious sense, only the latter description fits. For here, none has yet been clear about what he is longing for. But one always has a heartfelt awareness of what one is longing away from. Namely, mm -hmm. the earthy, earthly veil of tears, one's own in, uh, in unendurable condition. If awareness of this predicament is the deepest stratum of the soul, as argued above, then it is also understandable while the why the religious yearning is felt and experienced as a fundamental as fundamental. By contrast, the hope that it forms a divine criterion which harbors a promise of its own fulfillment is placed in a truly melancholy light by these considerations. And that brings us the fourth remedy um, against panic, uh, that of sublimation, which is just pushing it all away. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's um, it's not. It's not. I, <laughs> that well, one, I I actually considered that one to be the least great personally. Personally, that's the least great coping mechanism. <laughs> It, um, yes, and because of how it is employed, yes, uh, it's it's not even a patch; it's something else. There's a um, the the concept of this uh is is thus uh, the mountaineer does not enjoy his view of the abyss while choking with vertigo. Only when this feeling is more or less overcome does he enjoy it. Anchor. To write a tragedy, one must, to some some extent, feel uh, extent free oneself oneself from the very feeling of tragedy and regard it from an outer aesthetic point of view. Here is, <laughs> by the way, an opportunity for the wildest round dancing ever uh, through uh, higher ironic levels uh, into a most embarrassing circulus uh, vitosius. Um, here, one can chase one's ego across numerous habitats, enjoying the capacity for the various layers of consciousness to dispel one another. Um, and more pointedly, uh, this this is an author's note within the uh, the um, the discourse. The present essay is a typical attempt at sublimation. The author does not suffer. He is filling pages and is going to be published in a journal. Uh, that sentiment is something that is within... Um, conspiracy against the human race, mm -hmm. and I think all, uh, multiple interviews with um, Legati himself is that yes. he gives us these thesis, um, ascribes to it, but also fully acknowledges he's engaged in the very same behavior that he's um, saying is um, antithetical antithetical to to existence, right? Because um, because and... it's really good at sublimating, <laughs> right? Um, and, and actually upon, upon, um, 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 
further <laughs> review on my part. Uh, I I am actually incorrect. Incorrect. Uh, sublimation is actually my preferred method of dealing with 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 the uh, the um, universe. Yeah, that's right. It's just me versus. There we go. Um, yeah, yeah. Just transform your pain into art. That's what you do. That's how you. Yeah, that's how you let's, do it. Let's pick the least effective one. Hey, listen, I'm using a common. There, my anger. That's the one that actually mm. keeps me sane. <laughs> yes. So we will, um, I think, cap this with the 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 final bit here because we need to know about the last messiah. Yeah, yeah. This is part five of the essay, the final bit. Did you want to read this, Leonard? Uh, the entire thing? Uh, beginning with the second paragraph, I think, is all we need. Okay. Through the end. Uh, uh, and humans will persist in dreaming of salvation and affirmation and a new messiah. Yet when many saviors have been nailed to trees and stoned on city squares, the last Messiah shall come. Then will appear a man who, as the first of all, has dared strip his soul naked and submit it alive to the outmost thought of the lineage. The very idea of doom, a man who has fathomed life and its cosmic ground, and whose pain is the earth's collective pain. With what furious screams shall not mobs of all nations cry out for his thousandfold death? When like a cloth his voice encloses the globe, and the strange message he has resounded for the first and last time. <laughs> the, life of the, the life of the world is a roaring river, but earth's is a pond and a backwater. The sign of doom is written on your brows. How long will ye kick against the pinpricks? But there is one conquest and one crown, one redemption and one solution. Know yourselves, be infertile, and let the earth be silent ye after ye. And when he has spoken, they will pour themselves over him, led by the pacifier makers and the midwives, and bury him in their fingernails. He is the last messiah. As son from father, he stems from the archer by the waterhole. Which, of course, we failed to give context to that last statement because we didn't discuss the archer by the waterhole. <laughs> but that's okay. I think the, the point is made quite clearly um, in this segment here. Yes. Uh, and the it, point it, being, yes. humans don't want to hear the truth. <laughs> yes. And no. Um, that's, that's the thrust of it because humanity uh as a collective whole are unable to stomach the truth of the universe right and unable 
to subscribe to the maxim be infertile and let the earth be silent after ye which is yes. which is the point um uh not surprisingly um uh Zapfa was a um i think it's antinatalist mm-hmm. basically saying that um, people just should not um reproduce and he would subscribe to that and not have uh, children yes because that's the solution is to just stop existing for everybody yep and it's it's a little different than um uh stopping people by force yes because that that inherently you're just increasing suffering like that's not the point the point is right. to eliminate it from any from becoming further yes so not in running around and like murdering people but just getting them to acknowledge that if they just stop stop mm-hmm. existing everything will be better for everyone right mm. that <laughs> is that is the 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 bread and butter of the last messiah yes um and if you would like to explore these concepts in video games i suggest playing death stranding because once again there are are more than a handful of through lines uh between um the uh fiction work of legati uh the uh the essay work of legati and uh this this essay by uh peter uh Zatsif. um the, the, these are all concepts and all ideas that are explored to varying like levels of, of, of depth within Death Stranding. So I think it's kind of hilarious that that I'm getting all of this uh, similar thematic media all at the same time. Hmm. Yes, and I, I too will have to uh, eventually take those steps form those bridges yeah yeah when i get the chance mm-hmm. pee on those ghosts <laughs> do what you gotta do <laughs> do what you gotta do yep yes um, so <laughs> I, th- that wraps us up for i think this episode we've, we've our ghosts have tarried long enough yes um, in this zone we'll be back though because there's there's still more of all of this it yes. will not end um, as it should be. but right but the next time we will be just uh joined by our best boy cameron uh for more yes. witcher yes Dave? well we have some further adventures to uh to discover and some fan fiction to craft because garrett will be returning to us <laughs> <laughs> and and yes. his in his darings do because all of it life is a feast for crows. <laughs> Leonard, where can folks find you on the interwebs? People can find me on Twitter at Dr. Faust is dead. People can also find me on YouTube by searching for Dr. Faust, I uh, am a video essayist and uh, also make little dumb other little videos that you may find entertaining. Currently working on uh, a video 
um, concerning the uh, thematics of the very lovely game Greece, which is, for all intents and purposes, a giant, very pretty analogy for ever overcoming the uh, stages of grief. Um, where that should be uh, up soonish, not giving a date. Um, but enough about me. Dave, where can people find you on the internet? You can find me pretty much exclusively on Twitter. I almost said Tumblr. That's not correct. On Twitter <laughs> at sentinot underscore plus. The website, or not the website, the um, podcast is also on Twitter at mon underscore dmonster, our wayward host, who we were protecting um, with this asylum we've created. Uh, he <laughs> He's also <laughs> on Twitter at night underscore twitten and that's night without a k we will be back next week as we are and we will bring with us not only the swords of the witcher but also uh, a continuation of um did we pick or what do we pick it's not norwegian um more 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 beasties to discuss because, oh yes uh, yes we are, our, we are our, global our, our yes <laughs> our eventual global uh mythological creatures so we'll, yes we'll find some for you next time uh yes so this, this is us bidding you good day uh please uh, hope you enjoyed the episode if you did not let us know if you did also let us know if we don't have any we, we need reviews send us yes reviews if you would like to come on to the podcast and talk with us let us know um we like having guests and we haven't had any for quite some time about a yes. year so please, yes, uh, actually, yeah. please, please do join us, uh, and we will even be uh, so kind as to uh, maybe allow a guest to to pick the topic du jour. So we'll we'll see how that turns out. Uh, uh, just an oh, ad, uh, no, just an addendum, uh, just an addendum to your note. Uh, if you don't like what we do. Uh, let Dave know and keep me out of it one hundred percent because I don't want to know. <laughs> he's he's very good at um, distractions. <laughs> My All boss, right, we'll catch you Bye. later. Have a good one.